Anywhere you go in the oil and gas business, you will see flaring. That is just something that happens, but it's very controlled. That's not what's happening in North Dakota. These are all just signs of, well, that's opportunity. Like, yeah. That's tremendous opportunity for those that are willing to create a business based on this. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we're talking about making the most of natural gas, a resource that's too often considered a nuisance in one of the most remote shale plays in the country. You've heard me mention this several times on the show. I love natural gas. I love fracking. That industry helped me buy my first home in Texas. But I cannot stand the idea of flaring, where excess gas from oil wells are set on fire and essentially burned up. The amount of this flared gas is staggering, as my guests will show. A single shale play flares enough gas to power entire states and large cities combined. You may wonder why they're flaring gas at all. Isn't that the point of all the drilling? In the case of North Dakota's Bakken Shale, it's not. They're there for the oil. The gas is essentially waste. Liquid's a lot easier and cheaper to contain than gas, so the most cost-effective solution is to flare it into the atmosphere. My guess says they may have a solution. It's not as simple as we're going to capture it and pipe it out of state. Rather, they have a more committed idea that may benefit the region even more. Rather than treat the gas like oil, they first want to use it directly on site to fuel the oil field operations themselves. Then they want to clean it up, refine it, and make it available for local use. Rather than build an interstate pipeline to facilities across the country, they feel this fuel could be used as a magnet for industries to set up shop in North Dakota, essentially build an economy from this waste stream of natural gas. It's ambitious and expensive, but my guess says his team's expertise, outside-the-box thinking, and mounting environmental concerns could be what the region needs to have a second economic miracle. My guest is Mike Hopkins, CEO of Bakken Midstream, a startup based in California with big ambitions in North Dakota. Mike holds the honor of being my first second-time guest. He was CEO for nine years at Ice Energy, who we profiled two years ago in episode 30. We'd been connected on LinkedIn ever since. Then, last year, he announced he was leaving Ice Energy and starting a new company codenamed Stealth. (laughs) This had to be good. I told Mike when he was ready to let the secret out to let me know. About a month ago, he said he was ready. The press release announced the company, Bakken Midstream. It took me a second to realize that this wasn't another oil field services company in an already saturated market. Mike and his team were going to address the flaring issue I'd been talking about once and for all. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mike Hopkins. We're here with Mike Hopkins, CEO this time of Bakken Midstream. And Mike, the last we spoke was the end of 2017 when you were the head of Ice Energy. So what led you from energy efficient cooling systems to the oil field? Well, Jay, I was led to this change. It was summer of 2018 when I was taking stock of what we had done at Ice Energy, where we had the company. And I looked at myself 
and decided I was not the best person for that next stage. There are people that are great at operations. They may not be what I do in terms of deal making and team building, but they're great at what I thought the company needed. Reached out to a small group of friends and the very first one to respond was a friend of mine by the name of Steve Lebo. And he started talking to me about North Dakota. And he starts describing this challenge, this opportunity that he thought I'd be perfectly suited to take on as CEO, which was an environment where they've had this tremendous oil boom. Their oil has associated gas, but unlike oil, which is, I'd say, relatively easy to deal with, that is not the case with the gas. Gas is much more complicated requires a lot more planning, a lot more capital, and none of that really has happened in North Dakota. What should be a tremendous natural gas industry is instead, I'd say, an opportunity that has been lost so far. And you see bad symptoms of it in the extraordinary amounts of gas being flared in North Dakota. But the problems run, I'd say, even deeper than that. That's kind of surface manifestation of them not really having prepared themselves for this natural gas boom. And there's a lot of work to be done. Our focus is to develop an industry where there isn't really one, an actual natural gas industry in North Dakota to capture North Dakota natural gas and the liquids in the gas and create a real value-add industry. So I'd say it's exciting. I hope I'm, I'm, I'm conveying that to you, that I see this very challenging problem and yet this tremendous opportunity to do good in North Dakota, to do good for the rest of the country in terms of energy independence, stop the bad in terms of flaring, and start on with the good in terms of all the things that you can do with natural gas. I guess you can have lunch with a billionaire or you can listen to my podcast because I was going to suspect that you heard me rant about this Bakken gas issue on other episodes and a light bulb went off, but he also probably has some good ideas too. <laughs> but I rant about this all the time. So tell us, let's get into the root problem here. How much flaring happens in this region? They are currently flaring about 20% of the natural gas that's produced. To put that in more meaningful terms, that's about 550 million cubic feet a day of gas. If all you did with that gas was make electricity, that's enough electricity to power every home in North Dakota, every home in South Dakota, every home in San Francisco, <laughs> and I think every home in Washington, D.C. It is extraordinary. I think. Anywhere you go, Jay, in the oil and gas business, you will see flaring. That is just something that happens, but it's, I'll say, nominal, very controlled. That's not what's happening in North Dakota. What's happening in North Dakota is a version of what's happening in the Permian, where you have, I'll say, very large amounts of gas being flared. These are very significant fires burning up into the sky. They light the horizon, yes. They literally light the horizon. They heat the area. Yeah. I flew into Williston, which is one of the major towns in the Bakken area, and the pilot was telling us that they actually get flight patterns on a daily basis based on where the flaring is, because it even affects air traffic. That's yeah. the extent of it. Yeah. Is it legal or how is this legal? Flaring of natural gas is regulated at the state level in this country. North Dakota does have flaring regulations. They've got targets right now. They've been trying to bring these targets lower and lower in terms of what is considered permissible flaring. And right now, what they're supposed to be complying with is a target that I think would be about 12% flaring. Well, 
they're at 20%. I guess the harsh economic reality is oil right now is like the lifeblood of North Dakota. It has yeah. become their economy. And if you literally said, well, that's it, no flaring, then you would be very substantially shutting in the oil production in, in the state. It would have impacts nationwide, obviously have an outsized impact in North Dakota. All that said, if you read the local press, you listen to the governor, there is a clear move to start addressing this issue and requiring producers to bring down flaring. Now that in itself, I'd say is that's a challenge. The work that we started off doing as Bakken Midstream, I'd say is addressed not so much to this immediate problem of flaring, but trying to get to the fundamentals, which is they really don't have any significant utilization of natural gas in the state. And if you want to long-term not have flaring, then you want to have long-term sustainable utilizations. Now, in the immediate term, since you can't build processing plants and gathering pipelines and facilities that would actually utilize gas in large quantity, you can't do that in months. You can't even do that in a year or two. These projects typically take three years, four years. We are looking at a variety of technologies that are, I'd say, more emergency technologies where you can go into the field where the flaring is occurring and start grabbing that gas that's being flared and utilize it for things like small-scale power generation right out of the field, like taking that natural gas and compressing it so that you can actually transport it without a pipeline, or liquefying it so that you can transport it without a pipeline. Yeah, you mentioned the Permian and other regions. Other regions, I don't believe, flare as much gas. I've spent time in nearly every other shale play in the nation except the Bakken. I'm just too scared of the weather, and I'm pretty sure... <laughs> And I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the answer is no. That's right, right? I mean, they flare the most. Yeah, on a percentage basis, North Dakota flares the most by a very significant margin. On an absolute basis, the one region of the United States that flares more total volume is the Permian, which I think is about 600 million. But to put that in context, Jay, the Permian is way bigger. Yeah. And also the producers and the midstream companies working in the Permian have been working for the last several years on the reduction of flaring. On the long-term kind of projects that I'm describing we're gonna be doing in North Dakota, they're gonna see the fruits of that starting, I think, as early as later this year. You are going to see those numbers in the Permian come down quickly. We're gonna be doing things that they don't really do in places like the Permian. We're gonna be doing these mobile solutions. We don't wanna endure this for three years. We'd want a solution more along the time frame that you'll see in the Permian. If everybody is what they should, both places should be largely cleaned up over the next year or two from a flaring perspective. Well, yeah, I'm kind of surprised about the Permian numbers too. It's not like they haven't been producing oil and gas for decades. And look, other shale plays weren't hotbeds of oil and gas activity 10 years ago either. Yet I would assume that they're doing something with their gas so why do you think it is that the Bakken is so different? They started from almost nothing. Here we are 10 years on and they still don't seem to have the flaring issue under wraps. So why has there been no activity, no emphasis to do this over all this time? I think the simplest answer is what you set up there, which is they sort of came from nowhere and all of a sudden had themselves a big oil boom. 
If you look at the Permian or other places, they've been in the oil and gas business for decades. Yes, the Permians had their own version of a boom, but their starting point was they had a whole oil and gas industry there. They had a gas industry. They have gathering companies, processing companies, pipeline companies, all on the natural gas side. They have uses for natural gas. So for them, it's been much more about expanding the infrastructure that they started with, that they already have. And that is dramatically easier to do than to really have nothing mm -hmm. and then say, well, I'm going to build my first gas processing plant, my first fractionator. There's also an element that producers in North Dakota have been, even by, I'll say, Permian standards or other shale standards, they've been extraordinarily successful. They continue to exceed their projections, state projections, industry projections. But the price of that has been all this natural gas. But that means their gas problem is even worse. Yeah. Mike, I want to get a little bit more on the personal level. You've been working on this for a couple of months, so that means you've enjoyed some crisp weather in the Bakken. You heard me mention earlier that I heard it was like negative 60 when I was working for a company that had operations up there, and I was like, count me out. Did you, <laughs> I'm thinking like March, April, probably still was pretty brisk. Did you ever think, hey, maybe things were better back in California? <laughs> like I, I've well, maybe made a mistake here. No. However, I'm actually Canadian originally. I actually worked for 18 years in the oil and gas industry in Alberta, Canada. All right. So I know coal and I'd say Calgary gives North Dakota a run for its money when it comes to coal. The other <laughs> thing, just so you know, is I enjoy the benefit of our company having a whole team and we have offices here in California, which is where I'm based. So I still get to live here. I do go to North Dakota regularly and we have an office in Bismarck and then we've got offices in New York. A whole lot of our work is on the finance side where we're putting together the financing for the different projects that we're pursuing, which is really not something we're doing so much in North Dakota as we're doing here in LA, over in New York, up in San Francisco. We get our share of spending time in very nice climates still. Yeah, if you can kind of paint a picture of what it's like up there. Now, I was involved in this kind of work about seven years ago. We were building saltwater disposal wells up there in the Bakken, and the stories I'd here, this Williston town is kind of the hub. My understanding is, is that people would live in their cars in the Walmart parking lot. It was just very wild westy to say the least. So what is it like now after all these years of activity? Is it built up now? It is built up. I was just there several weeks ago and that was for the first time. I think it reminded me of a relatively small town in Alberta. There's a lot about North Dakota that reminds me of Alberta. It is remote. There's about 25,000 people there right now. It's clear to me just driving around Williston and in the meetings we had in Williston that it is definitely becoming a real community with the things you'd have in a city. But it still is very much, you said, Wild West, Boomtown kind of feel to it where you can see there's a lot of people coming into work there. I think there's a lot of those people that don't really intend to live there long term. They're there for the job opportunity, which is virtually no unemployment in the area. Everything is sort of trying to keep up. There's very few hotels. There's few restaurants. What there is, everything is packed. 
all the things you might imagine in that kind of wild west boomtown environment. But I believe that that town, Williston, kind of like Watford City, these are places that are here to stay. I think that they are going to attract more people that move there with families and you know, have all the things you'd have with a community because this resource up in the Bakken, the oil, and now if we do our job, the natural gas, it's going to be a tremendous economic engine for that whole region and state of North Dakota. It's going to attract all the things that sort of come with a whole energy industry like the natural gas industry. Again, I could point to Alberta and say a lot of what started in Alberta looked kind of like Williston. Getting into more of what physically you guys are planning, what are you trying to build to manage gas in the Bakken? I think you described it as starting out small on the site. How do you see this being built out into real infrastructure that can manage the gas? Our focus, we have this immediate issue that we want to help with addressing the immediate flaring going on right now and bringing that down. We're not that focused on the most local infrastructure like gathering pipelines because those exist, those can be expanded and there are companies that do that. We're looking at gas processing. We're looking at fractionation which takes the liquids out of the natural gas stream so that you've separated out propane, pentanes, butane. We're also looking at companies that would do power generation. We're looking at petrochemical companies, but you don't attract these companies to a place by just saying, well, we've got lots of this stuff in the ground, figure out how to get it. It's gotta be literally a plug and play environment so that if you're a plastics company, you need ethane. They want someone to take the ethane out of the natural gas, transport that ethane to a location that they would actually wanna locate their plastics plant in. I can go down a long list, Jay, of all the different types of companies that if there was the right infrastructure in place, the right services in place, would wanna be in North Dakota and tap into this natural gas well, utilize it in North Dakota. But none of that happens without the infrastructure and services available to them. That is what we're focused on. And these are big projects. A fractionator is a $400 million project. Storage facilities can be 50 million each. The numbers add up quickly. So over time, this infrastructure that I'm talking about, this work we're doing to create a plug and play environment for a whole new industry, it'll certainly run in the billions, but then that attracts investment that really starts in the billions. Everything we're talking about is extremely capital intensive and also very long-term. Sure, and one of the other things I was curious about was you're gonna build a fractionator. How would you get the gas to you? Is there pipelines built already? We will need pipelines. We wanna be very close to the actual natural gas itself. By and large, I'd say, there's lots of companies like WBI in North Dakota that I think are doing a perfectly good job of putting in pipelines where needed. The real problem is there just isn't the demand for hmm. the utilization of the natural gas. So there's no point in building pipelines that don't go to any actual utilization. I don't think pipelines are gonna be the choke point here. I think it's gonna be, well, it's, it's really, the choke point is gonna be figuring out what infrastructure to put in place, when, along what schedule, what comes first, and that's what we're focused on. Sure, and look, I mean, a fractionator, like you said, can be a very expensive piece of equipment. My experience from fracking was these pads move around a lot. Is that a concern, this idea that the fracking is always moving? So since 
centrally locating a very big, large installed piece of equipment when the nature of fracking is that pads move around so much. I don't expect that it's going to be a problem for the long-term infrastructure. If we're talking about this immediate issue of there's extraordinary flaring and we want to knock that down to more reasonable levels, yeah, that's by definition a distributed mobile approach. If you look though at over time, it's not like these wells disappear. The drilling moves on, but you're producing it and it goes relatively steady state for a long time. It can go for decades. The infrastructure that we're looking to put in place is the infrastructure that's looking past that initial spike looking past the extraordinary flaring, which will get resolved in the short term. And absolutely, it lends itself to a central plant idea. And I think it'll work well with the nature of the production of the Bakken. Right, and in addition to the fractionator, I believe you said you were talking about developing some technologies to help make the natural gas available for use in operations, for instance. One example would be all of these flaring locations are consuming quite a bit of electricity, whether it's for drilling, pumping, compressors on pipelines, running processing plants. Take some or all of gas being flared at a well and run it straight into a mobile generating unit and use it to run the local drilling operation instead of buying electricity from the local utility. You've got to figure out a programmatic way to deal with flaring in the whole area if you're going to really knock it down with that approach. But it absolutely can be done. And technologically, it definitely has been done, just never on this scale. Mm -hmm. When you're doing remote oil and gas exploration, there is no grid, there is no electricity. Then you do what I'm describing by necessity. And that's why we're looking at not just power generation, but capturing that gas rather than burning it off, liquefy it, put it in tanks, truck it out, put it on rail. What about stripping the liquids out of that flare gas? I think I've said this on the show before a few times. I've always been a big fan of this idea of using homemade hydrocarbons to run the work, especially during fracking, those big pumper trucks that are running on diesel. And I'm thinking the diesel probably came from Venezuela, <laughs> which is weird. And so, Mike, you said you'd been to Bismarck and that's their capital. What kind of government support are you seeing? Have you met with anybody? Yep, governor, lieutenant governor, the heads of the different state agencies. We have worked hand in hand with the state of North Dakota. They really have acted as partner in all of this. They are, starting with the governor, they are, in my opinion, absolutely committed to do what has to be done to stop what's happening, the flaring, the waste, and to create this new natural gas industry in the state of North Dakota. The governor and rest of the state totally get the idea that being effectively like a captive exporter of raw commodities is not going to be a prosperous future, that they need to take advantage of this resource, they need to steward this resource, starting with stop the bad, which is the flaring, yeah. and then get on to create actual value, build a whole industry because you can do that. I've worked with government a lot in Canada and the United States, overseas. I have never worked with government officials that are so businesslike. Yeah. Like, and I don't mean just like business friendly. I mean, they literally think and act like business people. I think it has a lot to do with the governor who is himself a business person. I think it has a lot to do with the nature of North Dakota where it's a citizen's legislature. I'd have to imagine it's very different from Sacramento. <laughs> <laughs>
What uh, Jerry Brown was it? <laughs> Gavin Newsom. <laughs> since, since, since I'm still working here in California, I better say no comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get you in trouble either. Okay. We talked about it's been 10 years. These guys have been fracking for a long time. Mike, why don't you think other midstream companies have stepped in? There are other midstream companies out there. So why does it take a startup to come into North Dakota and shake things up? Obviously, we've thought about this in terms of competition or lack of competition. Part of this is this all unfolded unusually and extraordinarily quickly. Had this developed more slowly over a longer period of time, I'm 100% sure uh, other midstream companies, other natural gas companies would have been in North Dakota doing what should be done. Part of it is you absolutely need the cooperation and attention of oil producers. And my observation would be that producers in North Dakota were so taken up with oil that they were paying little or no attention to natural gas. And those companies that tried to work on natural gas and talk to people about natural gas projects, I think Lyon Noakes talked to some of them, really couldn't get people's attention that they were just too focused on the oil. It took what I'd call this sort of almost crisis environment where people looked up and realized this is like out of hand. And it's actually a direct threat now to what they've been all concerned about, the oil. And this crisis environment means, okay, now people are paying attention to it, but who can move fast enough and creatively enough because it's become a very complicated problem because of how long it's gone on without being addressed. And I think that as Bach and Midstream and with our partners, we have a unique ability to respond to this crisis environment. And we have the ability and capital to move as quick as has to be moved. And you weren't ever at any point or any of your guys who put the pencil to paper concerned that maybe they weren't doing something about the natural gas because it didn't ever pay back. I would have to think that people would probably crunch the numbers and considered it at some point. Sure, I think that this is absolutely economic. If we do our job right, North Dakota will have a uniquely low cost of natural gas for those that want to utilize natural gas. And the business of utilizing natural gas and doing value-added products for natural gas will be a lucrative business for all concerned because of this competitive advantage. It's a big advantage being in a situation where the gas, it comes with the oil. I believe producers will always be much more focused on the oil because that's what drives their economic decision. The natural gas literally has been this nuisance, this thing that they're having to pollute with. And when they do move gas, they get next to nothing for it. And these J are all just signs of, well, that's opportunity. <laughs> yes, yeah. tremendous opportunity for those that are willing to create a business based on this. If you're in a situation where gas is being wasted, well, I don't know what more signs you need that that's a business opportunity. Yeah, we're kind of getting toward the end here. We've done this before with you, the lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies. And I'll tell you what we'll do. For those who want to know Mike's thoughts, I ask you to listen to him in episode 30. But I'm curious because you're in a different sector, especially oil and gas, and that's pretty far removed from what you were doing with ICE Energy. Has your opinion about oil and gas changed since we last talked two years ago? No, it really hasn't because when I think of what we're doing at Ice Energy, Ice Energy is one of a number of companies that are doing great and important work towards solving energy storage and to really get to a place in time where we're using 100% renewable energy. 
Well, to do that, I believe we absolutely need to solve the storage issue. Represented a big part of my career with Ice Energy. Mm-hmm. However, in the meantime, we're not achieving that this year or next year. And I believe natural gas, and I believe this since I was in the oil and gas business, that among fossil fuels, natural gas is unique in its role of being that bridge that allows us to continue to aggressively adopt solar, wind. You see it actually right in North Dakota. Got actually a really good potential for solar. Yeah. You have not only great potential, but actually have wind. What you don't have in North Dakota is the natural gas generation that would actually allow you to continue down that track of putting in more and more solar, more and more wind. So unlike some other resources where I might say crude oil, I can see it really winding down in the relatively near future, especially if good things continue to happen on the EV front. Are other kinds of resources that I think are kind of niche and interesting, like geothermal, but I just don't really see it as a key part of our energy future. I absolutely feel like natural gas, we need it to do what we want to do on the renewable front. All right. I'm really excited for what you do, and I think that's fantastic and such a great opportunity. I've been beating this to death that they need to be doing something about all that gas that just goes up and <laughs> lights up the night. And I'm sure it'd also be nice to be able to see some stars in North Dakota again. <laughs> that would be. Well, maybe if we do our job right, you'll bring me back for a record-breaking Third time. That would be great. That'd be great. Mike Hopkins, Bakken Midstream, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Jay. My pleasure. That was Mike Hopkins, CEO of Bakken Midstream. I want to thank Mike for coming on a second time, and we wish his team all the best. You can find plenty of pictures on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram at Host Energy. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 64. Be sure to join us next week for our first ever live episode discussing the future of the energy portfolio with three really cool panelists. Until then, I'm Jay Dauenhauer. We'll see you next time.